Good to feel the energy, the excitement of being together. Um, and yeah, again, the welcome to folks who are online uh, that we can be here. And so we, so we often do uh, at the start of the message, I'd like to get your input. Uh, you can chat online or in the room. Love to have you shout out. Uh, what are things that people sometimes are proud of? What are some things people might have a real sense of pride? This is a good thing. What are some things? Good grades, yeah. Money, Money. yep, yep. What was that? Completing goals. Completing goals. That's good. Ah, children. Yeah, children graduating college, other milestones. What was another one? A project that you make. Oh, yeah, the project's something that you that you build or make. That's good. An awesome spreadsheet. Oh, how many people just are so proud of the spreadsheets that they've made? All right, we've got a few. Good. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Something else. What's that? Children. Children. Yeah. That is good. That's good. Dead jokes. Dead jokes. <laughs> proud of those. That's good. That is good. How about, uh, let's think for a second. What, are, what things are people sometimes ashamed of that we say, oh, no, this is, this is problematic? And maybe it's their spreadsheet. I don't know. <laughs> what are some thoughts? Their insecurities. Insecurities, yeah. Yeah. Bad habits. Bad habits, yeah. Ashamed of that. Past mistakes. Past mistakes, yeah. I can really be ashamed. Hard emotions. Hard emotions, yeah. Yeah, I can try to hide those, be embarrassed about and ashamed of that. What was that? Family, sometimes, yeah. Yeah, and I see I missed a comment about something people are going to be proud of is just being able to keep going, uh, being able to continue, and so then sometimes ashamed of when we falter, when we stumble. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah, shame, um, feeling unworthy of being a part of a group. Uh, what do I want to think about for a bit this morning is this idea, these questions, who am I and do I matter? Um, and these are questions that sometimes we have a kind of a balance sheet. We say, here's some things I'm proud of, I feel good about, and here's some things that, that I'm ashamed of. And depending upon the balance, sometimes we wonder, so who am I? What am I doing? What's the point? Do I matter? And I have to say that uh, in this passage that we're looking at today, um, I feel really inadequate. <laughs> um, I, I feel like this is such a lofty vision of God, and, and I feel inadequate. And can I do what God asks of us to do together? And so I really want to pray in sincerity for me and for you. And the prayer is this, that God would help us to find ourselves in his glory. Um, that's the hope, in seeing who he is and that we find and understand ourselves in him. So I'll open us in prayer and then I'll leave silence for you to express your heart and uh, then I will close. Father in heaven, I thank you. We thank you for revealing yourself to us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, the Holy Spirit. And we thank you that you invite us to come to you with the things that we find satisfaction in and even pride and the things that we come with shame and an awareness of our shortcomings. We pray 
that you would help us to find ourselves in your glory. Hear our prayers in silence as we ask you to meet with us today. We thank you, Father, that you hear our prayers and that when we ask, we will receive. When we seek, we'll find. When we knock, you open the door. And so we pray today, Holy Spirit, that you would work in each of our hearts, that you would help us to find the joy that is ours in knowing our place in our God. In our Savior, Jesus, we pray. Amen title today is uh, Out of the Mouths of Babes. We're in Psalm 8. And uh, so I really encourage you to turn there. I want you to have that text in front of you. It'll be on the screen too. If you grab one of the Bibles in the back, it should be marked. And just a word that those Bibles are a gift. Uh, If you'd like to take one with you, you're welcome to do that. Uh, We've made it a pattern for the life of our church uh, that we celebrate communion uh, generally on the first Sunday of the month. And when we do that, we cycle through different aspects of our understanding of God. And uh, there's six different topics that we look at. And today, we're at the beginning of our cycle. And in that, we look at God himself, the the holy creator. And we we seek to understand him better. And so today, we're looking at Psalm 8, a a psalm that, that speaks of creation. And, of course, we'll have a chance to talk about this drawing in a few minutes. Um, So, you've heard it already. Uh, Let's walk through it slowly. Um, Psalm 8. For the director of music, according to Giddeth, a psalm of David. And let me just say, I don't know what Giddeth means. Um, And I'm in good company. People guess different things. It might relate to a grape harvest, but we don't know. But we know it was for the director of music and a psalm of David. Verse 1, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. And just stop there for a second. He says, how majestic is your name. And, and one aspect of majesty is just how big God is, how vast he is. How he inspires wonder and in realizing he's beyond us. He is great and glorious. And he says, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And you've set your glory in the heavens. And this was a way to say, over all that is made, the whole universe, everything, you are over all of that. Your glory is over all of that. That God is overwhelmingly great over all creation. He is the God we worship. So then verse 2, it's a very puzzling expression. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Through the praise of children and infants, you've established a stronghold, sometimes translated as praise, but but it, it literally comes from this military term of creating a fortress. Through children and infants, you've established a fortress against your enemies. I think, okay, That's a bit of a puzzle. Now, 
in English, we have an expression that's out of the mouths of babes, and it literally comes from this, this verse. Uh, in the old translation in King James, out of the mouths of babes. And, and we'll say this when we say somebody has, maybe they didn't realize they were doing it, but they said something really wise. They understand things that maybe older people should be the ones who understand it, but out of the mouths of babes. But to establish a stronghold, and I confess, I look at it and I think, that doesn't sound like much of a stronghold, <laughs> right? I'll go to the infants, to the children, and establish a stronghold. It's a bit of a puzzle. I think then he explains this. So then verse three, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? He says, when I look at your heavens, when I look at the moon and the stars, when I look at the world around me, why do you pay attention to people? What makes people worth your care? So I, I found this chart I found fascinating. Um, this is, you can see it better on this, the, the other screen with all the colors. This is uh, a picture of the global population where each uh, small area is the size of population for the various countries. And so you can see that, that India and China being the countries that have the greatest population. And, and then you can see uh, uh, Brazil being mentioned and Nigeria and the U.S. and Indonesia and many countries that uh, are connected with, with us. But you get a feel for all these nations and all these people in all these places. So today's world population, I could use a shout out. How many people are in the world today? 8 billion, excellent, something like 8.1 billion, something like that. So here's a related question. How many people have ever lived in the history of the world? Do you have a guess how many that would be? More than 8 billion, that's a good guess. It's a good guess. Maybe 100 billion people, right? So some people estimate since the time of Jesus, maybe 50 billion people have lived. And so then there's all sorts of questions, but it's a lot of people who have lived and have already died, right? So I think of where you and I stand, where us all together as a people stand in light of 8 billion people on the planet. We're not a very big group. <laughs> and in the history of humanity, we're a really small group. We aren't very significant given all of this. We're so tiny. Psalm 144 says human beings are like a breath. Their days are like a fleeting shadow. Right, so there's some people who do amazing things, like score more points in college than anybody else or score more points in the professional basketball than anybody else. And it's like, wow, they're incredible people. There aren't many incredible people. Most of us just disappear in a sea of humanity. But now... I want to do what the psalmist said. And given all of that humanity, and I don't matter in humanity, I want to consider the heavens. So, so Earth is the only planet human beings have ever touched. We've sent objects to some other planets, but the only planets we've ever touched. But I want you to look at where the Earth is. And now, this is not um, distance, but size. So there's the sun and the planets. Uh, anybody find Earth up there? So, so Earth is that dot. You see that dot right there? That's 
earth in relative size. Not, not in distance, right? It's a long ways away from the sun. But we're pretty tiny compared to the sun. If you get the sun so that you, you know, a normal size, the earth is so small, you can't even find it. Now, human beings are really significant on earth, right? We can do big things on earth and we can cause big trouble on earth. But you know, the sun hardly notices. <laughs> it's like this tiny dot that's out there and we have no impact, right? So little impact beyond earth. We can do all sorts of big things on earth, but nothing beyond that. But then when I consider the heavens and I look at the Milky Way. Um, so how many stars do you think are in the Milky Way galaxy? Anybody know? Something like 100 billion, right? So that's, that's a number like that, just in our galaxy, right? So, so we're, I'm nothing out of humanity. Humanity's big on earth, but nothing compared to the sun. And there's a hundred billion stars just in our galaxy. And so when I consider the heavens, do you know how many galaxies there are? There's something like 10 trillion galaxies, right? That's a lot of zeros. Something like 10 trillion galaxies. Our Milky Way doesn't feel so big anymore. (laughs) And so then all of those galaxies have loads of stars, Any idea how many stars there are in the universe? One septillion. You know that number? So here you go. It's one with 24 zeros. When I consider the heavens, you and I are individuals out of maybe 100 billion people who have ever lived. We live on a tiny planet next to an average star, which is just one of one septillion stars in the universe. The psalmist says, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, who are we that you care? (laughs) We're nothing, right? And and poetically, it's suggesting that even a septillion stars, it's just the fingers of God that work on that, right? It's nothing big. It's just his fingers that at work in something like a septillion stars. And you scale back, do you say people don't matter at all? Right? No matter what we do, we cannot even be noticed beyond our galaxy. Nothing that humanity could do is even visible. He says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you're mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. Right? Imagine adding up all the mass of humanity. Right? Take all of our, our, our molecules and, and all the stuff and you add up all the mass and now you compare it to the universe and we're just nothing. We can't do anything of significance in the universe. We don't matter. And then even worse, consider supernatural powers of evil that we have no control over. We just are so small. We are so irrelevant. And this is where I think... So then God tells his people, will you praise me? (laughs) My small people, will you give praise to me? And I think, how do we do that? Tell people about my glory. How do we do that? We are so small and so limited. We're as nothing. I don't know if you ever feel it. What am I here for? What difference do I make? And some of us, in some parts of our lives, we have this enthusiasm that says, I think I can make a difference in the world. And some of us, 
there's not a chance of making a meaningful dent. People say, moving the needle. We don't have the ability to do that. People have zero significance in the vastness of the universe. And there is no reason God should care about us. We just don't matter. So in this sense, humility uh, is, is not an act. <laughs> when God says, recognize your lowliness, this is just the reality of recognizing who we are. And so uh, this is one way that I, I think of looking at this, this, uh, this order of greatness, that you've got God at the top and his, his grandeur over all things. And, and then this idea of the angels, these supernatural beings that he's created. Then you've got the vastness of space. And then all living creatures... And then down, in some sense at the bottom, you have vulnerable and needy people. There are few creatures that are as needy as human beings when we're born. How long does it take for a human being to grow up and be able to live on their own? And some people say it's taken longer than it used to. (laughs) But it takes decades, right, for people to grow up and be able to function on their own. No other animal can handle that, right? They're getting out there and getting going, and human beings are frail. We have to have clothing, right? Because we can't stay warm just on ourselves. Other animals don't have to worry about that. I was fascinated by this idea. Do you know where the human digestive tract begins? In the kitchen. We have to prepare our food outside of the bodies because we are so needy. Other animals can just eat the food right away. We have to prepare it outside ourselves to bring it into ourselves. We are needy people. We're vulnerable. We're the only species that's out threatening to destroy itself. Right? We are. When you compare us to everything else, it's like, why pay attention to humanity? And yet, verse 5 says, You have made them a little lower than the angels. And crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet. All flocks and herds and the animals of the wild. The birds in the sky and the fish in the sea. All that swim the paths of the seas. He says humanity is nothing except God made them a little lower than the angels. He crowned them. He's made them rulers. That that God says, I'm going to take humanity, needy as they are, problematic as they are, and I'm going to make them rulers over all creation. Right. So in some sense, he takes this chart and he says, so this is what we are in his own, but God takes us and elevates us. And he says to humanity, you now rule over the created world. You now are responsible to help it develop, to guide it, to to protect it, to, to work it. Right. This is your job. It's not because it's who we are, it's because of God's choice. So now I want to step back to verse 2 again. Through the praise of children and infants, you've established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Through the praise of children and infants, and in some sense he's saying, through lowly humanity, I am going to show my glory to those who oppose me. Right? God chooses to use lowly people to show his glory. Right? The, the, the greatest preacher ever in declaring the grandeur and the glory of God is like an, a babbling infant pointing to God. 
right? The, the, the most skilled and vibrant and energetic worship team is like a child trying to say, let's give praise to God. And yet God chooses to do that. God says he chooses to use babies and infants to show his glory, to declare his praise so that he would silence his enemies. Church in Corinth struggled with understanding their own importance and what made them valuable. And and so these words from 1 Corinthians 1, the Apostle Paul says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ who has become for us wisdom from God that is a righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The Apostle Paul said to the church, don't think that God picked you because you're special. (laughs) Don't think that he's gone to say, oh, finally I found somebody who can declare my praise well. Finally, I found somebody who can be successful in the eyes of the world, so now the world will pay attention. God chooses foolish things and weak things and lowly things so that nobody can say, look at what I've done. All they can say is, look at what my God has done. Right? It's through the praise of children and infants that God says, I'm going to establish a stronghold because it's going to be me, not people. God chooses not only lowly, the lowly people, but the lowly among the lowly people to show his glory. This is a really different way of thinking about it. Right? There, there's a sense in which, well, if God would pick some really powerful people in the world and say, I'm going to have you become a Christian, now he could get some work done. Right? Now people will pay attention. And he says, no, what I've chosen to do is to pick the nobodies. And that's how I'm going to establish my praise. And so the psalm ends where it began by saying, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And I think now the majesty has a new twist to it. Not only is God vast, but God is glorious in giving tiny humans the place of highest honor in him. He says, this is how I'm going to show my majesty, not just that I'm great, but that I elevate the low to show my glory through those who are small. True joy and meaning and identity are only found in being known and loved by God and Jesus for his glory. It's the only place we will genuinely find our joy and meaning and identity is by being known by God. Okay, so the drawing. Um, this is, uh, this is a, a pit of worthlessness. Pretty exciting thing, isn't it? <laughs> a pit of worthlessness, but this is a place where we don't matter. And compared to humanity, it's reality for us, right? And we are in a time that we just want to encourage everybody and say, no, you really are important, you really matter. But it's not what the psalm says. <laughs> the psalm says, accept the fact that you don't really matter to the universe, and there's no reason you should matter to God. And yet there's something in us that says, I want to matter. I want an identity. I want a place. And so what do we do? Well, sometimes we try to seek meaning 
through other people. We say, there must be some people who can help me have some meaning if, if they'll love me, if they'll approve of me, if they'll like me, whether in social media or in person or however they do it. If I could somehow get the approval of other people, then I'll matter. Sometimes we say, oh, what I'll do is I'll try to achieve something. I'll try to accomplish something, whether through my career or work or or, or hobby, or whatever it might be. We say, I want to do something. I want to matter. And people say, this is very motivating. People want to be a part of something big. They want to be a part of something that changes the world. And we say, okay, if I could achieve something, maybe then I matter. Sometimes, sometimes we just say, I'm going to sit here and find the meaning in myself. I'm going to find a contentment in myself. I'll figure out my identity and, and, and what makes me special and what makes me unique. And I will find my own sense of worth inside myself. But what the case is for all these things is that we can never gain what we seek from people who don't have what we need. Because every person is on the same journey. <laughs> every person is trying to make sense of where, what is my place? How do I matter in the vastness of humanity and being washed away in history and nobody knows? Whatever we can possibly do, it doesn't change the fundamental picture that the psalmist saw. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the stars and the moon, what are we? And we are nothing. Except... There is an invitation to know the love of God. And I love the way this is stated in Galatians 4. It's you have come to know God or rather to be known by God. I love that twist. It's one thing to say, I want to know God, but to say, I am known by God. The creator of the universe, the one who stands across the one septillion stars and says, I know all of those, that God knows me. And not only does he know me, he knows my heart. He knows how many hairs I have in my head. I just find annoying when, when I lose hairs. He's got to do some accounting. It's like, okay, there goes another one. There goes another one, right? He knows all of this. To be known by God. And so Psalm 103 has this wonderful expression, from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children. He says, from infinity, infinity past, infinity future, the whole range The Lord's love is with those who fear him, to be loved by God, for God to know us. See, our dignity, our significance, is entirely a gift of God. And it is something that he gives to humanity, and yet in our brokenness, he wants to restore it. And so it's an invitation to us personally to find a meaning and a significance by being known by God himself. Out of the vastness of the universe, God says, I love you. I value who you are and, and, and your struggles, your heart. Your, I value you. I know you. It's an invitation. The Lord's love is with those who fear him. And then here's what I love. So what does he do with the tiny? He says, I'm going to use them to bring praise to me. Right? True joy and meaning and identity are only found in being known and loved by God and Jesus for his glory. See, it's not just that he says, oh, I'll rescue you and then you'll be a part of the community. 
He says, I'll rescue you, and then you'll be a trophy of mine. You'll be one of the, 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 the people that I use to say, I want to show my greatness, my glory, and I will use you. And I say, I don't have that in me. And he says, of course you don't. That's the point. This is my gift to you, that you would be for my glory. Out of children and infants, he says, I'm going to establish a stronghold, my praise, even against those who would reject, even against my enemies. See, application today is pretty straightforward. Let's find our meaning and our identity in God. This is where it is. The dignity of humans is a gift from God. And in particular, our hope is found through a relationship with him. To be known by God is to have life. To be loved by God is to have joy. It's not what we accomplish, but what he does. And, and he says, the weakest are stronger than God's enemies when they worship him and praise his name. Hear that. The weakest human is greater than God's greatest enemies when they worship him and praise his name. That's where significance comes from. Success or failure in the eyes of people is totally irrelevant. My own sense that, oh, I'm pretty significant or no, I'm not, it's completely irrelevant to our true identity. And our true identity is to be known by God and for him to say, you will be a stronghold of mine when you praise my name. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, said, once I found my significance in all sorts of other things. And we do it. We find our significance in so many things. And he said, no, none of that matters. I count it all as loss compared to this one thing, is knowing Jesus. Everything else is just pulling me away from that. And so he says, I let go of it. And so I just want to ask the question for you this morning, not answer it out loud, but personally, where do you look for meaning and significance? What is it that you say, what makes me valuable? And I think different people, it's different things, whether it is the people's affirmation, my own sense of productivity or accomplishment or, or, or whatever it might be that we draw on, where do you look for meaning and significance? And a different way to ask the question is what do you fear losing or not getting the most? And this can be the very thing that you say, that's what's giving me meaning. And Paul says the thing to do is to empty our hands in order to cling to Jesus. See, this lesson is actually the easiest for the lowly. For people who are successful in the eyes of the world, this can be really hard. There are people who who have had uh, honor in much of their lives. They do a lot of things well and people praise them and they find it really hard to say, but that is not the point. And those who have struggled with their identity, they've struggled with who they are, this can actually be a much easier step. This is why Jesus said it's hard for the rich to get into the kingdom of heaven. Because they've got other stuff to hold on to. It's the babies, it's the children, they're the ones who could make sense of this. And if we learn this, this gives joy and rest, even as we work. Because our work doesn't have to be the thing that gives us significance. It gives us meaning. It gives us purpose. What gives us that is our relationship with God, being known by Him, right? Being found in our God for His glory. Now, I'm convinced that one of the times that this comes out really clearly is in transition. 
So I had a chance to teach a freshman seminar uh, at, at MSU, working with new freshmen coming into the university. And one of the things that's the case for so many freshmen moving into a college situation is their pride is going to be taken down a ways. <laughs> a lot of students come in thinking, oh, I'm doing pretty well in school. And compared to a lot of people, I'm in pretty good shape. And they discover when they get to a place like Michigan State or other schools, oh, wait a minute, <laughs> I'm not as good as I thought I was. And so, so many students, when they come, are then trying to say, I used to find significance in my intellectual ability and my ability to perform in school. Now I've got to figure out who I am. But then I realize this happens every new thing. I can remember going to kindergarten and saying, who am I? I found a lot of security in my relationship with my parents. That's not there anymore. Who am I? You move to a new city, a new country, and you say, so who am I? What am I going to find that gives me a sense that I'm okay? In these transitions, it becomes clearest to us, and the invitation is, all that other stuff, it'll never accomplish what we want it to. But there's a joy and a meaning and identity we can find nowhere else except being known by God. And so Jesus said, here's the path. Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. It says, unless you lay down all those other things and you say, I don't have a reason why you're supposed to pay attention to me, I just want to accept your love. He says, that's the one way in. And so it has to be opening our hands and saying, I let go of that other stuff that, that's given me an identity that, that, that gives me security and to say, it doesn't work. But here's the one thing I can do is turn to my God in trust. And this is what it is to become a Christian is to say, I, my goodness isn't enough. I can't solve this thing. But the promise of God is that through Jesus, he'll love us. And then the, the reality I know is that living as a Christian, it's so easy to start to pick those other things up again. Somebody praises us or something goes well or we're afraid they criticize us or, or there's success at work or work isn't going well, whatever it is. And all these things stir up. Oh no, who am I? And again, Jesus says, unless you become like a child, meaning that I have no claim over God. There's nothing that I can do to say, you ought to pay attention to me. And yet he says, I love you. Will you turn to me? And so I just want to leave a, a minute for, for us to do that today in silence. And, and maybe it is for you a first time that you say, I've tried and I'm tired and it's not working. I want to know that I matter to God because of what Jesus has done. And I empty my hands. So it's an invitation to do that today. I, I will trust in you, not in me. And what Jesus has done in his life and resurrection that we'll celebrate in a minute that's where my hope is. And then perhaps for you today, it's a recognition that even having put our faith in Jesus, we've walked holding on to many other things and found a lot of stress and worry and fear and regret and, and grief because we're hoping other things will give us this security that only comes by being loved by God. So let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that you invite us to come as children. In fact, there's no other way. So I pray that you would draw us to yourself. Now, hear, hear our prayers in, in silence.